You're listening to the Trailblazers Podcast, episode 46, with Marissa Renee Lee. You're listening to the Trailblazers Podcast, where we will explore the stories of successful Black professionals. Join us as we highlight the knowledge, resources, and tools of these accomplished trailblazers to help provide the know-how, confidence, and motivation you need to blaze your trail. And now, here's your host, Stephen Hart. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Trailblazers podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Hart. Today, I've got the distinct privilege of being rewarded for my persistence and finding a way to get the smart, busy, and ever so amazing Marissa Renee Lee onto the podcast to share her wisdom and inspiration with us. Now, To tell you a little bit about Marissa, she's a graduate of Harvard College and in 2007 founded The Pink Agenda. It's a breast cancer nonprofit in honor of her mother, Lisa. Now, today, The Pink Agenda has gone on to become a national organization of young professionals committed to raising money for breast cancer research and direct care service programs in partnership with the Breast Cancer Research Foundation. Now, back in 2010, she joined the U.S. Small Business Administration as an appointee in the Obama administration and a few years later, Later, in 2013, accepted a position with the White House Domestic Policy Council as a senior policy advisor for urban affairs and economic mobility. This year, Marissa was recognizing the chronicle of philanthropy, 40 Under 40. And in addition, she's been a featured speaker at South by Southwest, has also written a number of op-eds on race, opportunity, and economic mobility. Marissa serves today as the managing director of the My Brother's Keeper Alliance. And through her work with MBK Alliance, she leads a collaborative cross-sectoral movement that unites business, philanthropy, nonprofit, and community leaders to increase pathways of opportunity for black young men of color. Without any further delay, let's get set to jump in and listen to today's trailblazer, the one and only Marissa Renee Lee. Enjoy. Marissa, thank you so very much for being our super special guest today. We're so very excited that you're here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm sorry my schedule has been so crazy, <laughs> but I really I really appreciate the invitation and I'm excited for a fun conversation. Yes, yes. So, you know, there's just so much that you've done and that you're doing today and we probably won't get a chance to cover it all in this in this phone call, but you know, before we get going in any particular direction, I'd love if you'd be so kind to share what you're most grateful for in your life right now. What I'm most grateful for in my life right now is my family. Um, I have I have an amazing support network, and you know the work that we are trying to do day in and day out at the My Brothers Keeper Alliance is not is not easy. So it's it's really important to have fantastic people on all sides of me, and you know friends who I consider to be family, even colleagues who I consider to be family. But most of all, my husband and my father, and I have a cousin who is nearby. I mean, without them, I would probably be losing my mind. Right. So important, you know, the value of, of having that support system and, and those people, exactly. especially family. I, I couldn't agree more. 
you know, I, I echoed him exactly. a, a minute ago that, you know, you've accomplished and experienced so much, some some big wins and some some tough losses as as I read through your story. And I'm I'm so impressed and inspired by some of the decisions and outcomes that you've had to this point. Um, you know, I wanted us to talk for just a minute about the Pink Agenda. For those listening, sure. the Pink, Pink Agenda is a nonprofit that was inspired by Marissa's mom's battle with, with breast cancer. And it's now been nine almost 10 years later and as i understand you've you've raised almost two million dollars for cancer research as a result of this initiative is that correct that is correct it is wow. it's kind of it's kind of crazy mm-hmm. um you know my mom was sick when i was growing up she had multiple sclerosis so from the time i was 13 until she passed away right after i turned 25 she was sick and frankly, progressively got worse. She was diagnosed with breast cancer the week that I was graduating from college. And so I decided to spend a year at home just kind of helping her and my dad adjust to the diagnosis, figure out how to manage it, determine the best treatment options for her, uh, particularly in light of her multiple sclerosis as well, and just trying to make sure that she could be kept comfortable and as healthy as possible given the circumstances. Mm-hmm. I left home uh, at the end of that year for a job in New York in finance, and I grew up about 90 minutes from New York City, so I was able to go back and forth quite a bit, but still just felt like I was not making enough of a contribution. And as someone who did not excel in the sciences, you know, I, I knew I wasn't going back to school to become a doctor or a nurse or anything like that. Uh, so I gave some thought to what do I do well? I am really good at throwing parties and am generally known for being quite social. And so talked to a couple of my girlfriends in New York and we decided we could absolutely just start throwing parties to raise money for breast cancer and we mm-hmm. would sort of see what happened next. We had no idea what we were doing. You know, I was 23, 24 years old. So things like filing for articles of incorporation or mm-hmm. actually getting 501c3 status to start a nonprofit that's tax exempt were completely lost on us. So <laughs> it was uh, it was sort of a comedy of errors that actually turned into something real and tangible. And now seeing it run by other people and, you know, having the opportunity to see my mom and her legacy live on outside right. of our family is pretty awesome. That is, that is amazing. As you said, it's like you just took a step, right? And then now this thing has morphed into something so much bigger than I'm sure you've, oh, yeah. you've imagined it ever would become. That's, that's, exactly. <laughs> that's awesome. We had no real vision beyond the initial party. Like, oh, let's try and get 100 people there and see if we can raise $10,000. And now it's, it's, a real, it's a real thing with events happening all across the country. So it's, it's pretty exciting. Right. So today you're you're also committed to another great cause in the My Brothers Keep Alliance. For those that aren't familiar, this is an initiative born out of President Obama's call to action to ensure that our nation's boys and young men of color have equal opportunity to achieve their full potential. Marissa, I wanted to allow you to take a minute to maybe expand on that. And in layman terms, you know, what what exactly does that really mean? And, you know, what's being done and how, how does that truly impact these groups of boys and young men of color? So those are all great questions. I was in the White House 
in the summer of 2013, working as a senior policy advisor with the Domestic Policy Council with a specific focus on urban economic development. And that summer, the president gave a what I'll call surprise set of remarks to the White House press corps after the George Zimmerman verdict was released, Right. where he talked about, you know, Trayvon Martin could have been him. If right. he had a son, he would have looked like Trayvon Martin and talked about how, you know, we were going to somehow use his platform and the reach of the White House to do something to help this population. Yes. And I sat in that office with a number of my colleagues. You know, we sort of heard whisperings around the building that he was going to say something, but nobody knew what he was going to say. And we all just looked at each other and knew that we were now on the hook to figure this out. And so there were a number of conversations with thought leaders all across the country, a number of discussions inside the building, and ultimately what emerged initially was a presidential memorandum establishing My Brother's Keeper and creating an interagency task force to focus specifically on improving life outcomes for boys and young men of color. You know, when you take a look at economic and education and health data for our children, and you look at our children who are unfortunately growing up in poverty, on top of the fact that they are growing up in poverty, the vast majority of them happen to be of color. And the population that does the worst in terms of, you know, actually being able to make it are our boys and young men of color. So when you when you start to pick apart the statistics, I mean they are they are really upsetting and disturbing. You know, by the time a child born into poverty gets to kindergarten, on average they have heard thirty million fewer words. Wow. I didn't even know I knew thirty million words. Uh, but wow. when you hear that and and you realize how far behind these kids are from the start, and and that just continues to compound on itself. Right. So it just it just gets worse with each successive milestone. So the work of My Brother's Keeper is born out of an initiative called the Social Genome Project that's run by the Brookings Institute that basically says if, if we really want to change the trajectory of the lives of children, really any child born into poverty, you need to intervene early and you need to intervene often. Right. So there are six critical life milestones, life stage milestones from zero to 29. And it's everything from entering school ready to learn, reading at grade level by third grade to, you know, completing high school on time and prepared for either post-secondary education or some sort of trade or, you know, other work experience to anti-violence, anti-recidivism and uh, poverty reduction efforts. So... This interagency committee was launched in February of 2014. I left the White House a few months later, and there were some leaders in the business community who were supportive of this work around My Brother's Keeper. And we came together and decided to form a separate 501c3 so that this work can continue beyond this administration. I was going to ask uh, that. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Um, you know, the president had said on multiple occasions that he and the first lady are committed to this work for the rest of their lives. And as I know, you know, they've been committed to this work around social justice and economic equality 
way before they landed in the White House. Right. And so without knowing what was going to happen this November, we began working on building a 501c3 organization in late summer of 2014. Today, we have a phenomenal CEO who's been with us for a little over six months now. His name is Blair Taylor. He was the chief community officer at Starbucks and really views this work as his life's mission. And he is he is a truly phenomenal and visionary leader. And we are starting to do work across the six milestones. And in terms of what the work looks like for us today, we are leading by saying that, you know, in order for this work to be successful, there needs to both be a national effort and a local effort that is really rooted in communities where we believe we can make a difference and move the needle significantly in the lives of boys and young men of color. So one of the the initiatives that we've been leading is something called an Opportunity Summit. Hmm. We've been doing events in our target cities across the country where we bring together several dozen employers and generally a little over a thousand young men of color on average age 16 to 29 for the most part. And we work with employers in advance of these events to try and get them to commit to providing job offers on the spot to these young people. We work with the young people and with a variety of local nonprofits in advance to get the young people trained, to make sure that they show up, to make sure that they understand you know, what, what is expected of you when you enter into a job interview. And then we ensure that the event is for like the entire spectrum of young men. So you could walk in having, you know, just gotten out of prison or not having finished high school and get access to services focused on reentry or access to services focused on education. Uh, we we just did one of these events in Detroit with over a thousand young people. We had about forty employers. There were I want to say a little over 350 jobs offered that day wow. to these young men. Yes. So there are now over 300 young men in Detroit who did not have a job three weeks ago who have a job today. That is fantastic. But in addition to those young men, you know, there were about 700 other young men who were there today and were able to work with some of our corporate volunteers on their resume. They were able to fill out applications for other jobs. They were able to get a haircut at our barbershop area. They were able to get a free tie from Macy's and learn how to tie a tie from one of our other volunteers. There's exposure. So there, we yeah. tried. Yeah, it's, it's, it's exposure, it's access, and it's, it's, it's about opportunity. You know, yes. So you could have not registered for our event, just heard about it on the radio that morning, and walked in and walked out with some additional support connected to, you know, getting you on a pathway to employment, ultimately. That is awesome. And I love, I love being able to kind of hear that, right? Because that makes it real. I'm exactly. now able to really understand what this, the impact that this, this initiative is having. And um, it, I'm happier was, to hear that it continues beyond this administration as well. <laughs> yes, yes. We, I, I still have a job. I had a lot of people ask me after the election if I was still going to be employed from January. Right. Yes, I still have a job. We are here to stay. We built a separate and independent organization because we believe in this work. We believe this work matters. And, you know, the president is 
an amazing leader, but there's no way he was going to solve all of these problems by January 20th. So we we are here to stay. We are committed. And we're going to be rolling out a number of really exciting initiatives and partnerships in 2017. That's kind of where I was was thinking. I mean, you know, (laughs) what... What, how how are you guys partnering with um, corporations and other institutions to kind of help fund and, and help push the initiative even further? Yeah. So the whole premise behind the alliance is this role that business can and should want to play in this work. And it, you know, for me personally, is there a moral imperative to creating a society that is more just? Absolutely. But there is also a strong economic imperative here. You know, we're not that far away from a place where the majority of the workforce will be people of color, either young men or young women, some combination of the two, right? Very true. We are also in a place where the labor market and the needs of companies are changing. By 2020, which sounds far away, but is not that far away at all anymore, there will be 123 million high-scale, high-wage jobs. Wow. 123 million available jobs. There are only expected to be 50 million capable workers. Wow. So we need to start... Exactly. And that's, I mean, that's literally right around the corner. So we need to start rethinking how corporate America views labor and, like, where are the opportunities. Right. And it like you you will have to come to one of these events at some point because you know you see these young men who are just so hungry for an opportunity and don't know where to start. And then you have companies that have real hiring needs. You know, Detroit is still struggling, as I you know I know we all know, but to have over forty companies there hiring. Yes, I mean, if the need is there in Detroit. And you know that the need is there in other communities, and it's about making the connection and helping corporate America think differently about talent. And for us, that's the starting point, because there are also CEOs who feel the moral imperative and who want to think differently about things like recidivism or early childhood education or suspensions and expulsions and school discipline and how that feeds into some of these issues. And so we are starting by leveraging this workforce piece because it is very easy for a CEO to wrap their mind around, we have talent, you need to hire people, let's bring it all together uh, in some cases than it is to get them to really take big steps around some of the other milestones. But we are working with business leaders to help us change the narrative. We'll be announcing a really exciting partnership early next year that's focused on sort of that piece of uh, our national platform. We're going to be working with folks on policy. We're going to be convening corporates and the folks who are actually on the ground doing this work day in and day out with our boys and men of color in different regions all across the country, making sure that those critical conversations are not just happening at the national you know, Fortune 100 CEO level, but are also happening with business and philanthropy and nonprofit on the ground in local communities. Uh, so there, there is a lot that we're going to be doing and gearing up for for next year. And we're going to continue to lean heavily on the business community here because we really believe that there is an opportunity there for everyone. Right. 
Right. And as you said, I would have to think that this is not just for minorities, right? This is this is work that's important to to everyone, despite this is, race, class, yeah. age, whatever it may be, right? And everyone has a part in to play in in this. If you care about the economy, this is absolutely work for everyone. If we were to close racial gaps in income, GDP would increase by 14%. Wow. Or the equivalent of $2 trillion a year. Wow. Wow. That is an amazing so, number. It's insane. It, it's, it's a little scary sometimes. Uh, but, I mean, you hear something like that and you recognize that there, there are real opportunities here. $2 trillion. Wow. Yeah. So, Marissa, what can each of us do, right, in our respective communities to help further your work and, and help promote efforts for this racial healing and, and, and reconciliation? Yeah. So, it's funny. I, I had a call yesterday with the pastor at our church. And it is a, I live in Arlington, Virginia. Um, it is a very, I would describe it as a very liberal and also a very diverse church. Mm-hmm. Um, and our pastor is white, and he has decided to lead in 2017 with a series on racial reconciliation and healing and sort of, you know, where do we go from here? What can we all do as individuals? So I I was working with him yesterday on thinking through some of these things and, you know, planning and how does he approach this as a middle-aged white man? And, you know, what I said to him is people need to be talking to one another. You know, he, he mentioned a concern about, you know, sort of saying the wrong thing, offending someone, making people uncomfortable. I said, people should feel uncomfortable. You know, fundamentally, whether we're talking about the white working class in the Midwest or our boys and young men of color in Detroit, we are leaving behind a lot of people in this country right now. Yes. And that should, that should make people uncomfortable. The rise in hate crimes that we've seen over the last few weeks and few months should make people uncomfortable. Police brutality should make people uncomfortable. Like these, these are not supposed to be easy conversations, but I really do believe that the way we come together is by actually coming together. You know, as a country, we are increasingly self-segregated by race, and that is, in my opinion, a big part of the problem. Like if you don't know people who are different from you, That's you're not, you're not learning. You know, yes. we're, we're not, we're not actually moving forward because we're just talking to the same people who have the same views about the same things. And if we keep doing that, nothing changes. So I think conversations and dialogue and really listening to one another and everybody making themselves uncomfortable and trying to understand someone else's perspective is going to be really important as we turn the corner into January and a new presidential administration. I also think, you know, thinking about how you as an individual can give back at the community level is really important. We spend a lot of time talking about, and the president has spent a lot of time talking about mentoring, and that's because it really does matter. It really makes a difference. One caring adult can have a huge impact in the life of a child. And that's obviously not everything. You know, mentoring is 
sort of the beginning. It's, it's not the end game, but it is important. And if someone wants to take immediate action, that is an immediate action that someone can take. I also think it's going to be really important for all of us at the local, at the state, and at the federal level to be paying attention to what policies are being discussed and what policies end up being implemented so that we can all advocate for the things that make a difference in our community and across the country. You know, how, how do we get to a better place from the public education perspective? You know, how do we make sure that our communities are led by people who share our values and care about everyone who lives in the community equally? Like we, we all need to be paying a little bit more attention, I think. Yes, so true. I know you, I know this is a national initiative, but you echoed earlier that there are some key cities that you guys are focused in on. Could you share some of those? So, so we just did the event in Detroit. That is one of our key markets. We did an event over the summer, the Similar Opportunity Summit in Oakland. We are also looking to do work preliminarily in Newark, Memphis, Albuquerque, and New Orleans. And we'll have, we'll have likely about 10 or so sort of high-impact hubs where we are incredibly deeply focused. And then we will have other initiatives that are for like, really any community that wants to get involved. You know, the president launched a My Brother's Keeper Community Challenge about a year and a half ago. Yeah. And so there are over 250 communities all across the country, some big, some small, I mean, literally in every state across the nation who have taken up this challenge to think about how they as a community can improve life outcomes for their boys and young men of color. And so communities came together. They are putting together action plans. They have selected either one or two, or in some cases, all six of the critical milestones and are creating, you know, together as a community table of leaders from philanthropy and the faith community and education and business, what they want their goals to be as a community and how they're going to move the needle in those spaces. Like there are some cities that have just done absolutely phenomenal work in this space. I'll pick on Philly. Mayor Nutter, who is not there anymore, really stepped up when this challenge came up Mm -hmm. and has instituted My Brother's Keeper as a thing that continues to exist in Philadelphia, even though he is no longer mayor. Right. Uh, and there are and there are leaders locally like that all across the country that are really digging in their heels and making it a priority that extends beyond their time in office. And it's really it's really just amazing to see. Marissa, I feel like I could talk to you for the rest of the day about this. <laughs> I'm I'm so in, in tune to kind of what you're doing. And, and it, I, f- I feel a sense of clarity as we're talking and I'm understanding the true impact and effect that this is going to have years down the road. And again, I'll, I'll come back to it. How as an individual... So, you know, I live here in Maryland. How could I take part in in this or how can our listener, you know, take part in the initiative? Is it getting involved in looking at some of these community challenges and also, you know, for business owners listening in, how could they take part? So anyone who's interested in working directly with the Alliance should go sign up on our website. There are, of course, opportunities to donate, but in some respects, you know, more importantly, there will be opportunities to directly engage with us 
and depending on the community to directly engage with some of the young people that we're working with. Right. So I would say go, go to our website. Uh, that's because you can sign up for our regular updates and that's how you'll stay connected to different opportunities. You know, we will be doing webinars and conference calls and all sorts of things heading into next year that really anyone can take part in to learn more and to get more deeply involved in this work. What's the URL for your site? mdkalliance.org. Okay. And for everyone listening, uh, if you're driving, please don't <laughs> try to write that down. <laughs> We're going to have all the links that Marissa shared. Uh, on our show notes page at tvpod.com. Marissa, we're getting set to wrap up, but before we do, we'd love to have you share some resources and some tools with our listeners. And I'd love to hear maybe, you know, what's one book that you've read that's inspired you most? I have been trying to read at least one business book a quarter this year. That was one of my nerdy 2016 goals. Yes. Uh, two that I have found particularly helpful. One is by Ben Horowitz on the hard thing about hard, hard things. things. Yes. And it just talks about, you know, being an entrepreneur and the challenges and especially the challenges if you happen to be in a leadership role and just what comes with building an organization from scratch and how sometimes hard and lonely it is, frankly. So that I have found to be a really helpful resource. Another one that was actually recommended to me by Sean Dove, who I know you featured here, yes. is called The Power of Full Engagement. And Sean recommended the book. And there are also a number of sort of abbreviated online um, summaries available. And it's really about thinking through how you manage less your time and more yourself as an individual resource and how you can work to ensure that you bring not just your best self, but sort of your fullest and your most whole self to the different parts of your life that are important. You know, I have a lot that I have to give to work. I still have to give sometimes to the breast cancer organization. I live close to a lot of my really close friends and roommates from college. I have an amazing husband. You know, there are lots of places where I like to and need to spend my time and just trying to make sure that I actually show up whole to all of those different groups and experiences and parts of my life is really important to me. Yes. So I found that to be really helpful. I've been saying this on a couple of other episodes, but a couple of things. Um, one, highly recommend that you get into audiobooks to help meet Ooh, your goal. Okay. I, like you, I'm so consumed with so many different things happening. <laughs> and um, in the last, my wife actually introduced me to audiobooks um, through an app accessible through the library. So through Montgomery County, I'm able to access the Overdrive app on my oh, wow. phone. And I, I essentially am able to borrow books from the library via audio format. I've listened to four books this month as a result of that. That's amazing. Yes. So, you know, and you're able to consume audio content on the go, right? While you're working out or while you're in the car, you can consume the content, you know, of, of these books. And one book to that point, I, I've shared this a couple in a couple episodes, but it was probably the best book I've read this year or, or, or listened to. I've listened to it twice now. Is Essentialism by Greg McEwen? Really good book. Essentialism, okay. So I highly recommend for kind of some of what you just touched on there a minute ago. Um, Marissa, what's what's something small that you've done this month that you're proud of? 
I don't know if my husband would count this as small because it's sort of driven him crazy a little bit. <laughs> but uh, we have a holiday party that we have made an annual thing. <laughs> and our holiday party is tomorrow. Nice. Uh, it is It is not as small as my husband would like for it to be. Um, <laughs> but compared to, compared to the other things that are on my plate, it's, it's relatively small, but it's important to me for a few reasons. I am one of those people who loves Christmas. Not so much the presents part, but just... Christmas songs and baking and decorating and the tree and all that stuff. I actually love that stuff. And I know that part of why I love that stuff is because my mother was really into Christmas. You know, we were the house that was decorated the day after Thanksgiving. And that had, you know, like two trunks full of Christmas decorations. And we had a pretty small house. So it was absolutely excessive. Um, All (laughs) cookies were baked the day after Thanksgiving. You know, it was it was a thing. And even though she was, like I said, sick for, you know, half of our time together, essentially, it never became less of a thing. She just farmed the workout to wow. her kids and our friends and other people. And so it's been really important to me to, you know, have an opportunity to just kind of Carry that stay forward. connected to her right. through my uh, overzealous holiday celebrations. (laughs) And um, this year, we've just been thinking about trying to be more thoughtful in our giving back as a family. Mm -hmm. So for the holiday party, we are asking people to bring donations to our local food pantry. Awesome. They, they, They allow you as an individual to sort of run your own small food drive. So we're going to be having tacos and cookies and cocktails and lots of Christmas music and also hopefully collecting enough canned goods and uh, cereals and things like that so that we also feel good about ourselves and, you know, are able to make a contribution to the community. That is an awesome idea. And I feel like I'm going to make sure we publish this (laughs) with enough time for other people to take this. Yes. People come to your house and they always want to bring something and I don't need anything. And so don't, you know, don't bring anything for me or for Matt. Bring some canned goods that you picked up the last time you went to the grocery store. Absolutely. Uh, so, yeah, we're going to try and sell a box with stuff tomorrow. I'm excited to hear how that, that played out. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully it goes well. Yes. Do me a favor. Name an online resource. It could be an app, software, a tool that you use every day and you just can't live without it. Okay. I have two. One is an app called Calm and it is for meditation. Wow. And I'm sure there are traditionalists who would roll their eyes at the concept of an app for meditation. (laughs) But I really wanted to try and meditate more this year and so I downloaded it and I try and meditate before I do anything else during the day. I, I'm probably four or five times a week like where I actually get to do it but it's great for people on the go. They have daily meditations that align with different themes mm-hmm. and it's interesting because they sort of try to align them at least a bit with things that are happening in the world even though it might be a broader theme like community or gratitude or something like that and then they also have um, a number of just different lessons and uh, types of timed meditations. And you can do anything from two minutes to like 30 minutes on this app. Wow. So I am 
I, I love it. It makes it easier for me to remember to chew it and stay on track. Right. And then I work out a lot because if I didn't, I would probably lose it a little bit. So <laughs> I, I actually work out a lot at home. We've essentially turned one of the rooms in our house into a gym. Yeah. And I'm obsessed with this website called Fitness Blender. Really? Hundreds and hundreds of free workouts. It's a husband and wife team. They were personal trainers. Our gym closed probably about two and a half years ago. And my husband said, let's see how long we can go without getting another gym membership. And I fell in love with the site. He uses it a bunch. I did a bunch of their workouts before I got married last year. I love it. Wow. It's called Fitness Blender? Fitness Blender, yeah. Interesting. I'll check that out. That's pretty cool. You should definitely check it out. You know, and if you want to commit to um, a two-month type of regimen where your workouts are pre-selected, they have all of these packages that you can buy for, you know, five, ten bucks where you have an entire series of workouts focused on specific things. I love it. Neat. Marissa, I'd love to invite you. You've done so much of this already, but, you know, it's, it's something we like to to come out of our calls with a, a, a clear focus as to, you know, one thing we could do. So I'd love to invite you to share one action that our aspiring trailblazers listening to the, the call to this point should commit to this week to help them blaze their trail. Something that I have found really helpful is just thinking about this concept of discipline mm-hmm. and, you know, what what is something that you want to do or maybe want to do better or something that you want to stop doing and haven't been able to like, like something that you lack discipline around and really (laughs) making a commitment to figuring out like what, what that thing is, you know, why you're not being disciplined enough around it and how you can adjust, Yes, you know, change, change is hard. But it starts with thinking about, you know, what, what do you really want to be doing versus what you are doing? And how are you going to be disciplined around getting it done? Yes. I was having this conversation just last night with a friend on WhatsApp and, you know, sharing like, <laughs> that the, the lack of discipline to read my Bible daily is such it's a hard. challenge. It's such a challenge. And um, it's hard. Yeah. And so then it's like, what would help you there? Like, I have looked at, I, I haven't downloaded one because I, I stopped, so I'm not disciplined enough around that either. But, you know, maybe it's it's an app that you can have on your phone yeah. so that when you're like, oh, I forgot to do it, you'll find a minute or two when you're sitting somewhere waiting for someone or whatever when you could do it. Right. Um, or having it as an available audio book all the time or something like that. Yes. yes. Um, so it's like, what is, what is the thing and what can you do to make it easier to actually be more committed and disciplined around it? Yes. Before we let you go. Hard. <laughs> I, yeah, I, it, it really is. It really is. Marissa, thank you so much for coming on the podcast Absolutely. today. I appreciate this, you know, having you here and, and this conversation was was one, you know, I've, I've taken away a good bit from it and I'm sure our community um, has as well. Tell us how we can stay connected to you and we'll go ahead and finish up for today. Great. So as I said, definitely sign up for our website, through our website, sorry for additional information on MK Alliance. For me personally, I am on Twitter at Marissa Renee Lee, and I try to be good about sharing information there about things that are going on with the Alliance, 
obviously still care a lot about things that are going on in the breast cancer space and then just other random bits and pieces of information. And if you're lucky, a few really good recipes. Yes. <laughs> well, I can tell you, you're going to get a lot of Twitter activity here once this episode <laughs> goes live because our trailblazers love to, to message um, and, and interact and engage on Twitter. So we're happy you're there as well. Perfect. Well, Marissa, thank you again. Appreciate having you. Thank you. This has been great. I really appreciate the thoughtful questions, and I am glad that you were willing to be patient with my schedule. <laughs> so thank you. Yeah, man, definitely. Well, that's it for today. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Trailblazers podcast. I'll be posting links to all of today's book recommendations and links mentioned on our show notes page at tbpod.com. If today was your first time listening to the Trailblazers podcast, I just want to extend a warm Trailblazers welcome to you. We're so happy to have you here and we encourage you to go ahead and hit that subscribe button in your favorite podcast app. Go ahead and browse through some of our past episodes to keep the knowledge flowing. If you're a fan of the podcast and today's content and you're maybe already subscribed to the podcast, please continue to share and invite your friends, your family, your colleagues to listen to an episode that you think might impact them most. We believe that someone listening to these inspiring stories will be moved to make significant changes that will have generational impact for many others, both now and well into the future. Don't miss next week's episode. New episodes are released each and every Monday by about 5 a.m. Eastern. Trailblazers, jump off this podcast today. Go find a way to rise above, go way beyond, and keep blazing your trail. Cheers. Cheers.